welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello, and welcome to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Before we get started on the show today, I'd like to invite you to visit my website at jasonpereira.ca and sign up for my newsletter. You will get There you'll get notification of any new podcast episodes, blog posts, or television appearances. So moving on to today's episode. Today on the show, I have Kim Moody of Moody's Gardener. Kim is a well-known and respected tax expert, and I brought him in, and he was kind enough to share his time today to provide us with the fundamentals of corporate taxation. And with that, here's my interview with Kim Moody. Hello, Kim. How you doing? Good. Thanks for taking time. My pleasure. So, Kim Moody, tell us about Moody's Gartner and what it is you do. Well, Moody's Gartner is a tax law firm. We also have a companion accounting for Moody's private client. And we service private clients, high net worth and ultra high net worth private clients at a tax specialist level. And one of our claims to fame is, is Canada-US. We have a very strong Canada-US bench. So anything cross-border in the private client space, we, we tend to excel at. And uh, you know, we have offices in Edmonton, Calgary, Toronto. And, uh, and we're growing and we're having fun. Excellent. Glad to hear. So thank you for taking time to come on uh, the show. And, you know, I brought you on specifically because you're a very prominent tax authority in this country. And I wanted to give the listeners a good fundamental understanding of some basic fundamental issues surrounding uh, corporate taxation. So we're going to dive into a couple of different areas, but I want to start off with just the general basics of corporate taxation. So give the uh, audience a rundown of how corporations are taxed in this country. Well, corporations, if they have income, business income, and I'll talk about private corporations because that's my area of expertise, although public corporations are very similar. But on business income, they're taxed at a a certain rate. And if that business income is considered to be active business income, so effectively you're in business and it's generated in Canada, then the first $500,000 of that income is subject to a preferential rate. We call that the small business rate. And that generally, it varies by province. Alberta, for example, it was at 12%. It's now slid down to 10% on the first $500,000 of profits. And anything in excess of that, you'll be subject to the rate, the general rate, which is 26%. It was last year in 2019 in Alberta, which is my home province. But it's now in 2020 at 25%. So the general corporate rate varies across the provinces as well, but it's generally in the 25 to 27% range. Now, if that company earns investment income, then it's taxed at a, in a different regime. Excellent. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So sure. I mean, this, is, this is substantially lower than top marginal rate across the country because top marginal rate, depending on where you draw the line, uh, in which province, we're talking about high 40s to low 50s across the board. But again, right. you know, there's, there's a very good economic policy reason why we, why we do this, and it's to hopefully help businesses stimulate the economy, hire more people and do do all the right things, hopefully. So basically, there's clearly an advantage there. Can we talk about what the benefit is of that tax rate difference? Let's say I don't end up reinvesting funds in my in my general operations that I paid, you know, let's call it low teens to 20%, 20-ish percentage. What's the advantage in not taking that money out and paying to myself personally? Well, the advantage is that you can maintain a deferral, right? Let, let's say you're, you've been subject to the, the corporation has been subject to the general rate, let's say 25%. 
Well, the remaining 75% or 75 cent dollars can stay in the company and either be reinvested in, in business assets or reinvested in passive assets. Like on an extreme, let's say it's cash and you invest in a GIC. Well, that's that's an advantage that ultimately you're reinvesting higher 75 cent dollars because if you had earned that income personally, let's say it's your tax you know, at 50% at the high rate, well, you're reinvesting 50 cent dollars. So the whole idea is to maximize the deferral by not taking those funds out so that ultimately you maximize and, and use the time value of money so that when you ultimately do take the money out and pay another level of personal tax, that you're dealing with with more money because you've had the benefit of the deferral for so many years. Now, the government is well aware of this. Uh, <laughs> well, and, it's well aware of it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and they tried to attack that in a, in a massive way in you know, the July 18, 2017 private corporation tax proposals, but they backed down from that. Ultimately, what they wanted to do was, was to prevent that deferral, and the way that, uh, that they invoked that was going to be rather radical, but they backed down from that. But I mean, still, there's, there's a limit now, right? So there's a limit of $50,000 in passive income that a small business can make before it starts to potentially suffer because they will ratchet back on our ability to use the lower tax rate corporately. Can you talk about how that works? Yeah, and that was the compromise that they introduced when they backed down from the radical proposals, which would have eliminated all deferral, essentially. So what they did, which is pretty rough justice in terms of tax policy, they to extent that a private corporation or any of its associated companies has more than $50,000 of investment income, which can include interest, dividends, capital gains, royalties, things like that, then every dollar in excess of, of, that, of that amount over 50000 will result in a $5 reduction in the amount that is subject to the lowest tax rate. So in other words, if you have $500,000 that's available to be used at the, at the small business rate, but you have $50,000 of passive income inside those companies, uh, sorry, $50,001, then now you've got $5 less that you can have at the uh, small business rate. So using my simple example, you'd have $499,995 that is only available at the small business rate. That, that can be pretty punitive. I mean, you know, when we look at the tax that they're paying on that extra $1 of income, right? We're talking passive rates, which are 50%. And then if we're going to lose one, $5 of small business rate room and have that tax at the difference at the higher rate. So let's just say, you know, arguments say there's a 15% difference between the lower and the higher rate. So now 15 times five is 75% plus the 50 we paid. Like this is the thing people don't seem to realize is that there's actually marginal tax rates in corporations now in these circumstances that exceed 100% some promises. That's right. Yeah. And certainly the Department of Finance is aware of this, but it was a compromise in their mind as proposed to the, the original proposal. So I totally agree with you, Jason. It's uh, it's bad tax policy. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to prohibit or limit the amount of accumulation of funds inside a private corporation that is subject to the lowest tax rate. But the way they're doing it, in my view, is just not, not right uh, when you yeah. have marginal tax rates that are well in excess of 100%. Yeah, I mean, when I have this conversation with people, business owners, and inform them that, that, yes, believe it or not, in this country, it is entirely possible to make an extra dollar and pay a dollar twenty. I mean, luckily, I'm in Ontario, and we the province didn't follow that, and it's not quite as bad, but it's still north of fifty percent, seventy percent. But the reality is, it's, it's it's there's not a single person out there that, from a simple simple justice standpoint, thinks that making a dollar and paying more than a dollar 
is anywhere near justified. It's uh, no, absolutely, totally agree. Yeah. So once the money's in there and it's growing, we have that now. Now the, the the good thing about this also, as we often talk to business owners, is this is a nice way to help insulate them from the volatility of being a business owner, right? So I could be top marginal one year, leave money behind the corporation. I could have a really bad year next year, and you know I basically lose. I, I don't have enough money to pay myself, but I can then draw those funds out later and pay a lower tax rates. Or I could, you know, use this as another alternative to an RSP and take money out when I'm in retirement lower tax rates. But one of the things that often comes up in conversation here, and one of the big myths that kind of exists, is that oftentimes you think you'll find the business owners who think that they're going to pay a lot less tax if they pay themselves dividends out of the corporation than income. Can we talk about the concept of integration and why that belief is a fallacy? Well, this is something that's difficult for the average person to understand. But the way I describe it to my students and, and to you know, clients, business owners, is that when you pay corporate tax, effectively that is just a prepayment of tax. The media is really horrible at this as well, you know, where they'll they'll always attack corporations and say, look at this low rate that they're paying compared to the workers that pay a much higher rate. In my home province in Alberta, our premier has our exist our provincial government has reduced corporate tax rates by four percent to be phased in over the next four years. The opposition NDP are calling that a four and a half billion dollar tax giveaway. I mean, that is just so plainly misleading. To whom? To whom? Like, who is, exactly. Like, I had this conversation when I teach as well about tax rates and corporations. And I, I will say, look, I actually think there's an argument for zero. And here's the reason why. What does a corporation do with their money? They invest in capital. They hire more people. They either hold on the money as a small business and then pay very high tax rates, as we just discussed, for investing that money. Or they pay it out as dividends, which they Absolutely. then pay personal tax rates at. So they don't just bury it somewhere and it's, it's lost to society in some way, shape, or form. This is not a way to basically give a bunch of billionaires the ability to buy more boats. This is just the first two options are incredibly economically stimulative. And at the end of the day, eventually it all comes out anyway in higher taxation. That's exactly right. And now I know the NDP are not that stupid, but they are that misleading, right? When they stay things like four and a half billion dollar tax giveaway to, you're right, like to who? Because at the end of the day, our, our the Canadian tax system has been designed, and it's been this way for roughly 50 years, is to have integration. Now, what does that mean? What, what that means is, is that the legal form of how you earn your income should not matter. In other words, if you earn $100 personally, then the overall tax rate should be the same had that $100 been earned by a corporation. The difference, of course, is that if you earn the $100 personally, you're going to pay that right away, that tax rate. Whereas if you earn it through a corporation, then you're going to pay the tax as a combination of corporate tax. And then eventually, when you take the, the remaining money out, you'll pay a dividend, tax on a dividend. And so the whole theory of integration is to make sure that the tax rates are the same. And it's very generally works across Canada. And although the corporation flow through tax rates, especially on investment income, it actually costs you more tax these days, especially in Ontario. In Alberta, it's about roughly right, right now about a 4% increase. In other words, if I had interest income earned personally versus interest income earned through a corporation, I'm going to pay about 5% more through a corporation, which they need to clean that up. And, and Alberta is. Ontario is not at the moment. It's a little but bit in any event, that's have, the theory of integration. You have 14 in a, 14 jurisdictions, right? You got federal plus three territories and all the provinces. Yeah. And you know the feds change something. Every province then, if they want to treat keep this the same way, has to change their tax policy. So it creates, yeah, there's little, there's little gaps and inefficiencies. 
But in general, the message is, is pretty straightforward. Take income or take dividends. By the time you add up what you're paying the feds, either in one check or two checks, it's the same thing for you. That's exactly right. With the difference being the time value of money in a, in a corporation, if you can hold the funds in the yeah. corporation. And the two other points I always make to them is, you know, and this is sometimes not always communicated to them, they're giving up their CPP contributions if they're doing it to, you know, in dividends versus uh, versus income. This is an attract that's that. Right. That's got to be an informed decision. And they're also giving up the ability to earn RSP room and utilize that later by taking dividends instead of income. So there is no one correct answer. At the end of the day, the tax decision needs to be driven from, in my mind, from various factors, the deferral, the CPP, the RSP, and yeah, any differences and gaps in integration. But it's not as simple, oh, I'm, I'm paying less. And it's, it's funny because I even have this conversation about publicly traded corporations with people who are just like, oh, dividends are awesome because I pay less tax. I'm like, well, no, you're paying less tax because the big company paid more tax. So at the end of the day, if corporate tax rates were zero, your dividend could be significantly larger, right? So is what it is. So moving on to dividends, this has become a more complicated situation in Canada than it used to be for small businesses. Specifically, one of the things the feds tackled a couple of years ago was the concept of income splitting. They thought it was completely unfair and unjustified for people who own businesses to potentially, quote unquote, split income with family members as if the family members had nothing to do with the success of the business and made it very difficult to pay a, or let's put it this way, there's a number of tests that one has to qualify for in order to split income with the family members. So this is really the split income conversation, but dividends are part of it. Let's talk about what necessarily has to happen for myself or any other business owner to pay their spouse or family member any form of income. And then let's, let's start with, with, with actually salary and then let's go to dividends. Sure. I mean, the tests for salaries are, is conceptually pretty simple. The issue is if you pay a salary to a family member out of a company or just out of a proprietorship or a partnership, the issue is, is that salary reasonable? Mm -hmm. And really what the courts look at is, would you pay an arm's length person the same amount of money for the same services? And if the answer is yes, then more than likely that, that salary that you're paying to the family member is reasonable and all is well. If it turns out that it's not reasonable, then there's provisions in the Income Tax Act that will deny the deduction of that amount. So, for example, if a private corporation pays $10,000 to little Johnny and little Johnny is basically doing nothing and it's not reasonable to justify the payment of that salary, then that company will be denied the deduction of that $10,000 if it's ever audited. But it's still taxable in little Johnny's hands. So the, the result is it's double tax. And then that's that's pretty much it in terms of the, the legal tests and, and the tax tests on, on salaries. But that's that's the legal test, right? I mean, the first test is what the auditor thinks, right? Yes. And this is one of the things I don't like about some of these changes is the ambiguity. They said reasonableness, but it's it's really reasonableness in the eyes of the auditor at the time of the audits, right? Like, Well, just to be clear, though, Jason, the these reasonableness tests for salaries have been around forever. So right. there is no changes that were made in recent years as a result of the reasonableness for salaries. Right. I think what you're referring to is the reasonableness on dividends, which I'm, I'm sure. Sure. yeah. So which I could talk about right now if you want me to. Yeah, so let's let's jump into dividends, which is definitely the more complex of the two situations. So it used to be that, for example, my spouse could own a class of shares that I could then dividend her as a share owner, just like she was owning a publicly traded corporation, and she would have that income taxed in her hands as dividends. So not an uncommon tax planning strategy for business owners in the past, but the rules around that change pretty dramatically. So can we can we speak to what that looks like? Sure. So 
it's going to be difficult for me to summarize this in such a short period of time, but I'll do my best here. So well, you built for anyone, for the record, if you're curious about this or confused about it, Kim and his company put together a very interesting flow chart that is one of my major reference points that has all the considerations for paying a dividend. It's a little bit frightening, <laughs> but it is, uh, it is incredibly helpful. So I'll let you, uh, with that said, I'll let you uh, get into it. Well, thanks, Jason. And, and just to expand on that, the reason why we put that flow chart together it was pretty selfish uh, to begin with. We wanted to understand these rules because we're tax geeks and we deal with complexity on a, on a day-to-day basis. So we're used to it. But I can tell you when these rules came out, we had a really, really hard time understanding these rules. And the only way that we could even make sense of it was to put this flow chart together. And so, and it's something that we work with uh, all the time. But the, the short answer is this, like you nicely summarized, prior to the introduction of these rules, you would pay a dividend to your spouse and and, and the spouse would be subject to uh, tax rates on dividends, which are lower than, than salaries because there's already been corporate tax paid. So that's right. What they did is they introduced a set of rules that expanded on the existing kitty tax rules. So the, the so-called kitty tax rules have been around since the year 2000, which basically would invoke a tax if dividends or other sources of income were were paid to a minor child out of the business. So if you paid a dividend to either a direct or indirect minor child shareholder, then that dividend would be subject to the so-called kitty tax and subject to the highest tax rate on that dividend. And effectively, what they did is they said, we're going to expand that kitty tax rule to any related person. So your spouse, your adult children, those are the most common. And the only way you get out of out of those rules is if you meet certain exceptions. And so they introduced exceptions for if you inherited the shares from a deceased parent and that parent was active in the business, very complex. There's another exception if the spouse or children work in the business and at a minimum of 20 hours per week or less, if, you, if ultimately it's reasonable to assume that they make a significant contribution. There's exceptions for certain types of shareholdings, so-called excluded share exception. If you hold 10% or more of the votes and value of the shares and the business is not a service business. And it just goes on and on that these rules are major, major complex and apply to virtually every single business owner in Canada, which is the problem that I have with these rules is, is, I mean, it's one thing to foist complex rules on a small group of people who can hire smart people to interpret them, but it's another thing to foist significant complexity to such a broad group of people. And the average accountant has no ability to interpret these rules. And that sounds arrogant, and I shouldn't say no ability to, to interpret, but let's just say it's fair to say that most accountants struggle greatly with the application and interpretation of these rules. So that's the problem I have with it, because anytime you pay these dividends now, you got to think about, hmm, is it reasonable? Am I into these rules? And if it turns out you're into the rules and you can't justify reasonableness, then that dividend is subject to the highest tax rate. Yeah. And it's, you know, as you said, I don't think it's arrogant at all for you to say that because at the end of the day, really the issue is the burden is always on the taxpayer, right? Like it's always our obligation to make sure we file everything correctly. And even when we hire professionals, there's different levels of professional, quite honestly. And the more complexity in the system, the more likely we are to run afoul of those rules and result in unneeded and unwanted penalties. And just, you know, your flow chart alone, I think has like like seven or eight decision points with like sub bullets that probably total somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 different factors, if not more, that determine whether or not you can or cannot pay this dividend and have a tax within the hands of the person who received it. So 
it's not a stretch to say that I don't think anyone in the public is served at all by this level of complexity to the simple act of paying money from a corporation, let alone the tax authorities and having to actually police this. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, and when these rules were first introduced, Jason, your listeners might be interested to know that there is a number of us behind the scenes that tried to advocate for significant changes to these rules. I think most of us would agree that, that there's some mischief, especially with children, paying dividends out to adult children and then using those cheaper funds to go to university, for example. I think most there was of evidence to that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. The dividends, dividends trailed, started, it peaked at 18 and then trailed off as they approached their early 20s. Yeah, that was normal. But that, that makes <laughs> And when you look around the world, especially to our neighbor, to the south of us, the United States, I mean, first of all, they have a limited form of family taxation. You know, you can file married filed, filing jointly and pay a common tax. Canada does not have that, but they also have a, a version of the kitty tax rules, which is, and I'm going to oversimplify this, but it's relatively straightforward. Whereas I believe off the top of my head, it's 25 and under for children. If it's reasonable to conclude that that income would have otherwise been paid to the parent, then instead of being subject to the highest tax rate on that income, the child is subject to the marginal tax rate of the parents. And, which makes more sense to me. But in Canada, you know, the way they introduce these rules, that child is subject to the highest tax rate. So it's very, very punitive. So we, we wanted to say, listen, if you want to clean up this mischief, why don't you introduce like a bright line test like the United States has? But ultimately, at the end of the day, the government was very resistant to that idea. And yeah. proceeded with this, with this complexity, which is very disappointing. It is. I mean, and for those of the listeners who don't recall this, um, you know, two summers ago, I think they introduced these policies. And then that's right. There's very little time to comment. And I will say this much I have never seen the industry across so many facets move so fast to form coalitions and, and lobby. And, you know, I know you were involved in a heavy basis. And I thank you for that. And I was involved in various organizations and various direct communication with MPs who were also, many of them, not very happy with what came out of this. And they very quickly dropped two of the four provisions they were looking for. But I think at the end of the day, there was two kind of, we need to save face on doing something. And so I, I can sum up this legislation by saying, we're not saying you can't pay a dividend. We're just saying you have to walk across glass to do it in a lot of cases. Yeah, that's, that, that's a fair summary, right? Yeah. You, you, peace be with you. I, what I say to accountants is, and I lecture uh, quite often, is peace be with you if you haven't changed the way that you've been practicing with your clients. And still, and you haven't documented your files to justify the payment of dividends to family members, because at the end of the day, there is significant complexities and you need to turn your mind to whether or not these rules apply. It is an undue burden. And, you know, I agree with you. I mean, I remember exactly what you're talking about in terms of the U.S. test and being applied to the marginal one. That's kind of fair, right? Like, you know, it should have been paid to the parent. If it had been paid to the, shouldn't have been paid to the kid. If it had been paid to the parent, here's the tax bill would have been. And the difference between top marginal and the lower rates is pretty substantial in this country. It is. Ontario will use 53% as as its top line. You know, imagine a situation where, two family members working in a business, they just kind of screwed up and it went a little bit unreasonable because of, of the amount of money that was necessary to sustain themselves through some emergency or whatever it was. And they took it out and they ended up getting slapped for it. And, you know, let's say that those two were in the mid thirties, like call 36 to suddenly turn around and say, Oh, you know, that should have been paid instead of being paid to that person should have been paid to that person. And, you know, if it had been paid to that second person, it would have been taxed at 36 to 40, but no, we're going to tax you at 53. That's just undue. That's like, that's just an undue burden. And it's just unreasonable. Totally agree. And the other thing that drives me crazy is that these rules are specifically targeted 
to the so-called middle-class business owner. <laughs> yeah. you know, and there's a lot of rhetoric that comes out of this federal government about you know the wealthy and they need to pay a little bit more and you know got unfair tax breaks for the wealthy. It's just such a bunch of garbage, but an unnecessary divisiveness in my view, because we're all Canadians, whether you're rich yeah. or poor, we're all Canadians. But these rules are targeted specifically at the middle-class business owner because do the real wealthy care about income splitting? No. No. They're already they're, across the board. Exactly. So yeah. they don't care about this stuff. The middle-class business owner, again, I hate using that phrase middle-class because I don't yeah. even know what that means. But Let's call that average. <laughs> yeah, average is probably better. The average business owner, do they make a lot of money? No. There's lots of statistics that show that the average business owner makes less than $70,000 per year to feed yeah. a family, which is pretty modest considering all the risks and, uh, and ups and downs that, that, that go on. But and ultimately, I have, I have data that I showed my MP that showed that those, those business owners themselves actually work far more than a 40 hour work week. So when you break down the hourly, the average business owner is making less per hour than the average employed person is. Yeah, no question. And so when you have that $70,000 business owner, all of a sudden pay marginal tax rates on the first dollar at the high rate on dividends, which in Ontario is I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but let's say it's 48%. Pretty close, yeah. That's ridiculous. And that is very unfair in my view. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen you make comments in the past on this. And if you're not, I'm sure you're in support of it. But I think there's, there's a rising chorus of people saying we need to go back to the drawing board and look at the entire tax code in this country and actually start to... Um, start to actually fix this, you know, start Absolutely. To, you know, let's, let's modernize this tax code that was developed back in the seventies for the, for the modern era and start, start unwinding all this ridiculous tangle of complexity we have that unfortunately the business owners who are listening to this podcast are all subject to in the worst possible way. I mean, personal tax filings, not that complicated. You introduce, you have the audacity to go take the risk to start a business and employ people in this country. And then it becomes, well, technically now you're kind of the enemy. Yeah, it, which you know played itself out during the July 2017 private corporation uh, tax battle. The rhetoric that came out of that was so offensive. So the bottom line is, yes, uh, you have heard me speak on that before because I'm I'm pretty loud, like a lot of other tax people are across this country. That it is way way overdue for us to to do an overhaul and have another royal commission on taxation that breaks down right from its bare structure to, to see what needs to change, what needs to be modernized. And there's a lot of academics across Canada that, you know, when they hear people like me saying that, they, <laughs> some of them will say, well, you better, uh, better be careful what you wish for. And that just drives me crazy because it's such a, a selfish comment and such a selfish rebuttal and such a shallow rebuttal, frankly, because at the end of the day, people like me, and I would submit that there's a lot of people like me in the tax community across Canada, we want what's best for the country. It's not about be careful what you wish for. It's about what's best for the country. And for business owners, one of the key objectives is, is to reduce the complexity. And, and if I was involved in, in, a, in an exercise like the Royal Commission, that would be front and center is, is let's make this as simple as we can. Absolutely. Well, hopefully that rising chorus of voices continues to grow. And, uh, and frankly, as the tax code seems to get even more complicated, as we just recently had an increase to the, small, to the personal exemption, which now has a clawback. Yeah, ridiculous stuff. But Yeah, this unfortunate this government has a propensity for labeling things that are taxes, not taxes, but just creating all these phantom taxes and hidden tax rates. So hopefully we see a reversal of that in the future and a going back to the drawing board and actually setting this country straight. But for now, I thank you for this contribution because frankly, this will hopefully provide some basic understanding to business owners about what it is they're facing. 
also commend you for the lobbying and the effort you've done in the past to help straighten this out because I've seen you, you're a very vocal advocate and that's one of the reasons why I wanted you on the show. Where can people find you before we close out? They can go to our website at uh, www.moodystax.com, M-O-O-D-Y-S-T-A-X.com and you'll find us there. Perfect. Kim, thank you very much. My pleasure, Jason. Thanks again. So that was my interview with Kim Moody of Mooners Gardner. As you can see, Canadian corporate taxation is unfortunately in need of a bit of an overhaul. But until then, we have to work as best we can within the structure we have. So hopefully that taught you that you should seek out the proper advice when looking for tax advice, especially with your corp. As always, my name is Jason Pereira, and this has been Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to leave a review. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For more episodes, go to jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.